Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you do know. You know all those that you have called before the foundations of the world. You know each and every one in the mission field here in San Jose that is one of your elect. You do know. And you have the power by your grace and mercy to save the very many very dry bones. We desire this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth. We want to know you this morning as we hear your voice and we want to walk in faith as you lead us out of this place to be the very people you've commissioned us to be. So I ask, Lord, that this time would be a holy time, a gathering of your people to have you speak to us that we might live in accordance with these teachings. I pray you would bless us this morning, Lord, that our ears would be attentive to hear and our hearts would be soft to receive this word of encouragement or this word of rebuke or this admonishment, whatever it may be, Father, that we might respond correctly to you. You are our God. We declared so last week when we said that we would serve you faithfully. And so by your grace and mercy, and it will take that I ask that you would bless us in that way this morning. Let your name be known here. Let your glory be manifest here. And let it move from this place. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning. If you have your Bible open already to Ezekiel 37, good. If not, please open up there. If you do not know where Ezekiel is, go to, just open your Bible up in the middle. It'll fall open to the book of Psalms generally. And then move forward a little bit. You'll hit Isaiah, you'll hit Jeremiah, you'll hit Lamentations, and then you'll hit Ezekiel. And I want, I want us to be there. We'll be there today. We'll be there next Sunday likely for a little bit and maybe a few more after that. Uh, most of you know this passage very well. When I had said on Wednesday that I was going to be preaching from it, I had some yippies. And that's a right response. This is an extraordinary, extraordinary passage. Um, last week we had a chance to, to worship the Lord on the Lord's Day, January 1st, 2017. So we're eight days in. How are you doing? I mean, we took a vow before God that we would serve the Lord. How have we done these past eight days? Have we served the Lord faithfully? Have we worked hard to know Him and to love Him and to walk in faith? Well, if not, I, I pray you are not suffering from despair. I pray that you're here to be encouraged, to be fed, that you might leave this day and serve the Lord. And we must come back to him again and again, every day, asking for new mercies and new strength each day. Amen? Okay, so we're here and that's good. And last week we heard Jeremiah say to the people, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Choose this day whom you will serve. And we had that great resolution, that New Year's resolution set before us as a church to do that in 2017. That we as a people, as a body, will say yes we will serve the Lord. And then the consummate question that continues to come back is, well, how does this look? I mean, very practically, how do we day by day walk in faith so that we can live a life that is truly in service to God? Not lip service to God, which oftentimes we're good at, but real service, day in and day out. What does that look like? I would like to take this morning and next Sunday and probably several after that, and you know, it's probably going to turn into a series because that's just what happens. It's hard for me to stay, you know. So we might have a series out of that. We'll put it on the website as such. But I want to answer that question. I, I, I want to know. I want us to know collectively, what does it really look like practically to serve the Lord? We don't want to be people who just say it because it sounds great. We are going to serve the Lord, but really do it. So we will start by looking at Ezekiel 37. And for those of you who do not know the context of this, it's important. Uh, Israel is no more. Judah is no more. They have been taken into captivity in Babylon. Ezekiel was a prophet that prophesied before the fall of the south in 587 and during that. So we have a period of time here where the people of God are in exile. They are no longer a nation. They are no longer a people. And they are in despair. 
And so God comes to Ezekiel and he says to them, I want you to prophesy to my people and tell them I'm going to recreate the covenant community that they destroyed. I'm going to bring it back together again. In fact, in chapter 36, and I'm, I'm compelled that we might go back there as well, in chapter 36, he makes that grand, uh, God makes that grand revelation through Ezekiel that he's going to give his people a new heart and put in them a new spirit, and he's going to gather them in, and he will be their God, and we will be his people, and there's this sense of great joy in the power that's going to come through Christ. And yet we sit here in exile in the context of this passage. In fact, if you have your Bibles open, look in 37, look it down at verse 11, look at the latter part. The people are saying, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We indeed are cut off. In other words, they're saying, there is no hope for this prophecy of Ezekiel in 36. How is God going to give us new hearts? And how is he going to put his spirit in us? We are no more. But he repeats, look at verses 13 and 14. He repeats this promise. And what we realize quickly that this prophecy of Ezekiel 37, and one of the reasons it's so popular and preached so much, is he's not just talking about a nation. He's not just talking about Israel coming back out of exile. He's talking about the grand redemptive plan of human history, how God's going to work to bring in the nations and the multitudes as he made the covenant promise to Abraham. Look at verse 13. And you shall know that I am the Lord, this is God speaking through the prophet, when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. And that's, that goes way beyond Israel coming out of Babylon and being reestablished in Jerusalem, way beyond that. And, and, and preachers and pastors for centuries has under, have understood this is the glorious work of redemption. This is the great work of God to bring himself glory by going to the nations in history and redeeming people in his own name, awakening people from the dead. And so by grace, if we have ears to hear this morning and hearts to obey, and it will take both, hearing and obeying, I believe we can see one way that we can serve God more faithfully in San Jose in 2017 from these verses. That we can say, okay, this is a way that I can serve the Lord in spirit and in truth. So let's do that. Let's become better servants. Let's hear, and then by His grace, let's obey. And let's do that by understanding and living in accordance with these four things. One, our commission. Two, our condition. Three, our hope. And four, our prophecy. Our commission, what we're called to do, our condition, the desperate state of the human heart, our hope, the hope that we have in the power of God and our prophecy, what message do we give? Can we do that this morning? All right. I know it's a little dark out, a little rainy, so there's a tendency to slow down. I, I want you to hear this, saints. This was a cry from Ezekiel to the people in exile. This is a cry from God to you today living in exile in this place. The practical application is frightening. So let's, with all our might, for the next 40 minutes, listen. Let's look at our commission first. Verse, uh, verse 1, Ezekiel 37, verse 1. Ezekiel said, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And immediately you get this, this haunting picture that here he is, he's been brought out, he's in this valley, and everywhere he looks, there are bones. There are many bones, as we'll see, and there are very dry bones, as we will see. But I want you to notice, first and foremost, this is his commission, and this commission is very much like our commission, your commission, personally. Notice that in verse 1, that the hand of the Lord was upon him, the Holy Spirit, and he was what? He was brought out and set into a dying world to do what? To bring the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ to these many dead bones. You say, you know, that sounds familiar. I know a man named Jesus Christ who also gave a similar commission to the church in Acts before Pentecost and before he ascended into heaven. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said what? You, speaking to the church... He's speaking to you personally. You will receive power when the Lord has come upon you. The hand of the Lord will be upon you, just as it was Ezekiel. And you will be my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem, in Judah, in Judea, and Samaria, and even the ends of the earth. In other words, you're going to go out in the power of the Spirit to these places where there are dead people, and you're going to share the testimony of Christ. 
Same commission. You say, wait a minute. I'm not, I'm not an Old Testament prophet. You're not. You're a New Testament prophet. I don't have a new word from God. Praise God. We have His word in the Bible. But each and every one of you have been commissioned by God to open your mouth and prophesy His word. Not your word, His word. Amen? So our commission is clear and our commission is the same. And this is, this is the great picture that Christ sets before us. This is the great picture that Ezekiel brought before the people of Israel who were in exile. That we are to go out under the authority of the Holy Spirit in His power. And we are to witness and to testify to the greatness of Christ. We're supposed to tell people that God, the God the Son came and He gave His life and died that we might have life. We are to be a people so taken by the love of God. So raptured by the love of Christ that His word must be something we speak. And say, well, that's what the pastors do. And that's what Bible teachers do. Ezekiel is talking to the nation here. He wants the nation to hear and the nation to testify that we are to open our mouths and share the glories of our most magnificent, most glorious Savior and King. This is what we need today, my beloved, so desperately. I've heard some of you recently praying for a revival. And I say, amen. Pray for that. Keep praying for that. But a revival does not happen unless we, the body of Christ, faithfully proclaim the word of God. And I'm not talking about just pastors, and I'm not talking about just the pulpit. I'm talking about the body of Christ going out with the word of God and telling this world, this place, this valley, people in such submission to the Holy Spirit and so raptured by the love of Christ that nothing can hold us back, that nothing can prevent the Spirit of God in us declaring these glorious truths. Not the fear of man, not the fear of failure, not the fear of rejection, that you will be like the Apostle Paul, so crushed by the Spirit in a glorious way, you will say as Paul did, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That's not just for preachers or apostles or or missionaries, that's for the body of Christ. Woe to us if we do not preach the gospel. I want that on your heart, each and every one of us. I mean, how glorious if that right weight by the Holy Spirit were there as you go back out tomorrow morning on January 9th, the second week of this year, and to your acquaintances and to your coworkers and into your families and into your friends' homes and into the neighborhoods, and you find yourself declaring the word of God. You want a revival? I want a revival. We see the deadness here. We want life. Then we must speak. We must speak. God's people. God took Ezekiel. Look at verse 1 again. He set him in the middle of the valley, a valley full of bones. Dear saints, by God's providence, a group of believers back in the 1950s, led by God, saw it fit to plant this church. Cambrian Park Baptist Church, that's what was its original name. He planted us, God planted us in the middle of a valley that has become known as Silicon Valley, the tech capital of the world, where from this valley, decisions are made and information goes out that has influenced billions of people. And yet here we are, planted by God, preserved by God. It's 2017, and by His grace, His word is still here, and His people are still here. Why? Why has He sustained us all these years? Why does He maintain this body? Why? that his name might be known here in this valley full of dry bones. That Silicon Valley might become that place, as we see in Ezekiel 37, where God's word is spoken and people are made alive. But that means, my beloved, that we must go out into our backyard. We must go, and we must be diligent messengers and heralders and proclaimers of God's glory in this place. We, sinners, saved by grace commissioned to do the great work of proclaiming the gospel and the glory of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. My beloved, I want that to be more important to you. I want that to have greater weight to you than your bank accounts or the square footage in your homes. I want you, as men and women, totally consumed by God, totally consumed by the gospel, to to desire to take this revelation out, this great revelation of God and His goodness 
and his desire to save and him saying, I want all to be saved, for you to take that out. I want that desire to supersede your desire to play video games or to sit on couches and watch the same movie over and over again. So much time we have. So many dead people that don't know Christ. We are the mouths. We are the ones to bring the message. We're not to hide in our churches. We're to go out into the valley amidst the dead bones and tell them they can have life in Christ. That's our commission. That's our commission collectively. I know we talk about ordination and we talk about commissioning in the context of pastors and missionaries, and that is a lie. We are all commissioned to share the gospel with the lost. That means you, that means me, to take the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit's power, to take this hope to those who are dead that they might live too. The exiles thought themselves hopeless. They said, we are dead people, dead bones, we're no longer a nation. They were experiencing the very real pain and suffering of the rebellion against God. Living as slaves, it's no different here. We live in a place where people rebel against God and they're suffering from the consequences of their own sin and they don't even know it. They don't know it. And if we're to have any legitimate impact as a people in this community, then we must understand not only our own hearts, but the hearts of those with whom we are dealing. Look at the next point. We've got to know our condition. We cannot, we cannot be faithful servants. We cannot be commissioned to this great work unless we see clearly the work that we are called to do and those with whom we are to do it. Look at verse 2. Ezekiel says, He, God, led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, there were, they were very dry. Do you see what God's doing? He's taking them among the very many, very dry bones in the valley. And what was he trying to do? What, did, what, was, what was God intending to, to bring upon Ezekiel's heart and mind? He needed Ezekiel to see that the people he was going to go and prophesy to were dead completely without spiritual life, completely subject to their sin and their transgressions. They were lifeless. No flesh, no sinews, that's a tendon, no muscle, no skin, no hydration, lifeless. Why did he have to see that? I mean, why did, why did God have to press upon Ezekiel the, the desperate state of his people? I mean, that, to me, I'm thinking, okay, I'm a prophet, I'm alone as a prophet, and this is the first thing you're going to show me is the destitute nature of the people to whom you want me to speak. This is not an encouraging word. Why was it necessary for him, and why is it necessary for us as a church to see the impossibility of a revival apart from Christ? Why must we see that? If we're going to be faithful servants, why must we look upon San Jose and Silicon Valley and say, very many, very dry bones, no life, no hope? Why must we see that as well? Why must we look upon the people at work and in our neighborhoods? And why must we see them as people, not with a spark that need a little rekindling, not, not with the free will to choose if we just give them the message, not as people who are sick that need a little medicine. Why do we need to see them as completely dead that need to be resuscitated and brought back to life? God said to Ezekiel, I'm going to take you around and you've got to see it clearly. Or God says, I can't commission you. And it's the same for us. We cannot be commissioned as servants of God to bring the gospel to the lost unless we see, in fact, they are dead. Completely and totally without life. Fleshless, skinless, lifeless people. Jude said it well, Jude 1.12. Waterless clouds, fruitless trees, twice dead. I like that. Doubly dead, uprooted. We must see the picture of the heart of man. Unable to grasp, to hear, to respond, and to live. In order for us to effectively and humbly serve in the capacity in which God is calling us. Because then, my beloved, and listen closely, then and only then will we stop the foolishness. We will stop trying all the worldly techniques and all the tricks and all the human wisdom and all the ingenuity that we come up with as Christians and as churches thinking, if we do this, then they'll come. And if we try this, then they'll be saved. We'll stop all that. Instead, we will pick up the two weapons that God gives us. You know what they are? 
God gives us two weapons to go minister in amongst these dead bones. His word and intercessory prayer. And that's it. That's it. Those are the weapons. If we do not use those, we will have no success. If we try to grasp onto anything else other than those, we will be the greatest of fools. Only a clear vision of our own hearts and a clear vision of the dry bones around us will stop the insanity in the Western world. And grievously, we have imported that to Africa. We've imported it to Asia. And the very things that we did here so foolishly, other countries and other nations are now doing. It's insanity. The number of churches this morning who are preaching messages to tell fathers how to be better fathers or mothers how to be better mothers, and they don't even know that they're going to hell. Not a message about Christ or the fallenness of man and the need to repent. What good does it do to tell a man how to be a better father when he is destined to hell? What good does it do to tell a mom how to be a better mother if she can't tell her children about the gospel? It does no good. So much moralism, so many ethics, so many ways to live a better life. How helpful is it to gather people on a Sunday morning and entertain them? How helpful is that? To tell them stories and have lights and have smoke and have music and everybody leave with this glorious feeling of, oh, that was neat or, oh, that was good. What good does that do if they don't know they're dead? No good. All you're doing is preparing them for hell. I say enough of the antics, enough of the showmanship, enough of the altar calls, enough of the evangelical gimmicks, and we have bought it. Enough of the scripted prayers of salvation. We have two weapons, the word of God and prayer. Those are your weapons. Those weapons have not changed in the history of the church. Same weapons. Faithfully proclaiming and faithfully praying. These are the foundations, and they always have been. For those of you who are students of history, the foundation of every revival, the word of God faithfully proclaimed and people praying. I'm talking about the word declared boldly, like Ezekiel's going to do. And I'm talking about intercessory prayer, heartbreaking, life-shortening, constant, daily, on your knees, begging God. What if, my beloved, what if the evangelical church in San Jose in 2017 said, enough with man's wisdom? Imagine if just the evangelical church, those Bible-believing, gospel-centered churches, imagine if we collectively said enough of the tricks, enough of the gimmicks. In 2017, we collectively as a body are going to commit ourselves to the faithful proclamation, the faithful taking of God's word, and we are going to pray. What do you think would happen? This place would come unwound. San Jose would be turned upside down. We would see a revival. We ask for a revival. We say, God, why aren't you coming? Why would he come when we don't do the very things that he's called us to do to proclaim his word and to pray for it? And we're not going to point fingers at any other churches. Let's start here. Let's start in our faithful proclamation. Let's start in our taking the word out to our family and friends. Let's start with our, our prayers. Saints, all of you have multiple people in your lives that do not know Christ. All of you. I've Many of you, I've prayed with you. I've heard you and seen you weep over it. Do you weep daily over it? Do you go before God and say, God, please, and beg God day after day that they might be saved? This is the type of prayer that I'm talking about. No more tricks. No more games. We must see our commission or we will not go out. We must see our condition or we're going to rely upon all the foolishness that the church has adopted and we will try it ourselves. Third thing I want us to see is there's hope, okay? There's hope in this great message. Look at verse 2 again. Ezekiel says, he led, me, he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Ezekiel had to answer, by the way, in a particular way or God was not going to commission him. He would have fired him on the spot. He asked Ezekiel the question. 
you must know the answer to that or you cannot be commissioned to serve God in this way either. I want you to notice, he says to, to Ezekiel, can these bones live? Can the dead be brought back to life? Because that's the question. Can the very many, very dry, lifeless bones, lifeless people be brought back to life? His answer is extraordinary. And it's been confused by some. He's not evading the question. He answers exactly as he should answer. He doesn't say yes. Why? He doesn't presume to know the mind of God. He's not so presumptuous that he would say, God, I know your decrees before the foundations of the world. He won't say yes. He won't say yes because he thinks he has the power to do it or he thinks he has the power to manipulate God into doing it. So he doesn't say yes, rightfully so. But notice he doesn't say no. Why doesn't he say no? He knows God. He knows God is powerful and mighty and that he certainly can bring all these dead people to life. And he knows that his God is good and that his God is gracious and loving and that his God loves to save so he doesn't say yes, and he doesn't say no. What does he say? He says, you know, Lord. You know, Lord. Ezekiel knows that God, Numbers 14, 18, is filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. This is not beyond God. It's not beyond him. His answer is a humble answer. He was not going to presume because he's humble. He was not going to demand because he's humble. He's not going to try to manipulate God because he's humble. He simply says, you know, Lord. He has this landscape before him, and he knows, listen, God walked him around, and he saw the mess. He saw the sin. He saw the rebellion. He saw the pain and the disease and the death. He saw the weeping. He saw the broken families. He saw the divorce. He saw the abuse. He saw the crime. He saw it all. And upon looking upon the mass of humanity, when God says, can they live, his only answer is, Lord, you know by your power, because there's no other way. We so have to get there as a church. We have to be at that place and you know, Lord, no other way, no other power, no other word, no other gospel, no other savior. It's that bad. Not a social program, not a financial program, not a psychiatrist, not a pill. There's no book. It must be Christ or they will remain dead. If not for Christ, we'd still be dead. You know, Lord. He's saying, you, you can do this work. You can do this work. You are that mighty and you are that good. You are that gracious and that loving and that merciful. And in the response, when he says, you know, Lord, he is also saying, you know, Lord, and if you so desire it, you command me your prophet and I will prophesy. You tell me and I will tell them. If you tell them to live, I will tell them to live. If you tell them to become a people again, I will tell them that. He says, I will prophesy, I will declare, I will broadly proclaim whatever you tell me to do. And I won't stop until I breathe my last breath. This is how we must be, because that is what God has prophesied. We must be like those people, like Ezekiel, telling those people. He didn't know how, he didn't know when, but Ezekiel did not doubt that God can, could, and would. He didn't know how and he didn't know when. We have, saints, we have too many covenant promises. We do. We have too many promises in the word of God to doubt that God can do that same great work today. Too many. More than Ezekiel had. You have the total of the, of the Bible, the canon, the Old Testament, the New You have all this great revelation In verse chapter 36, God said, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned, and the nations will know that I am the Lord. This promise stands today. Do we not live amongst the people that profane the name of God? We do. Do we not live amongst the people that have been rejected by God because of their sin? We do. But God's promise still stands. He said, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And then he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. This promise stands today. He said, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put it within you. 
I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And then he says in chapter 37, 14, I have spoken, I will do it, declares the Lord. Those are promises. My beloved, if God said it, God will do it. If God said it, God will do it. He says, I have spoken, I will do it, declares the Lord. Full confession. The number of times in the past 20 years I've looked upon this valley and I've said to myself, no hope. There's no way. I have. I've stood from this pulpit and I preach a message like this and I've looked out there and I said, it'll never happen. Shame on me. Such a lack of faith. Such a rejection of the word of God not to believe that God can't raise 3,000 people this day in this valley. Shame on me. The word of God says no such thing. The word of God corrects me. The word of God says proclaim this message week after week and do not doubt and do not despair no matter what you see. Ezekiel would prophesy to this and yet it would be years before they'd be brought back. The word of God corrects us all. It says that we can be faithful servants. We can be workers of this harvest. That we can go out into this place that is so dark. And we can serve and we can work and we can bring the gospel and we can pray for the lost and we can do that great work because God has promised to do a work in our midst. We can have glorious, powerful expectations. Too many churches too many Christians. We're circling the wagons, we're gathering in the walls, and we're locking the doors, and we're saying, let's just hang on until Christ comes. Let's just buckle down. Try to ride it out. So many of us have looked upon the dry bones for so many years, and we've said in our hearts, there's no way. There's no way the battle's not winnable. My beloved, that's not my commission, and that's not your commission. That's not our commission. Our commission was not to hear God, be saved, and then hide in a church. Our commission was to go and make disciples of all nations. Doing what? Baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And doing what? Teaching them all that Christ has commanded. That's our commission. To go out and to speak and to pray. I don't want to hide. I'm 50. I don't want to hide in a church. I don't want to hide in my house. I don't want Cambrian Park to be a church of people who say, you know what, we're okay, we have Christ. Let's just try to make it to the end. That's not the commissioning we've been given. We are to go out. We're to be bold. We're to be strong in the spirit of God. There is nothing in the Bible. There's nothing. I'm thankful for this. There's nothing in the Bible that says God can't use a sinful man like me and a small church like ours to do a mighty work here. There's nothing in the Bible. I know how unfit I am to serve in this capacity. I am unfit. And I know we're small. But I know God's sovereignty. I know his love. I know his grace. I know his power, and if he wanted to this very day, 3,000 like that. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of salvation to all who believe. This is not a time for us to withdraw. It's not a time for us to hold on and just try to make it till the end, say, Christ, come soon. It is a time for us to take God's word at his word and to be brave. To be brave. To stand on his promises that he will convert many. That he will evangelize many. That he will save many. That he will do this work. This is the prophecy that's been given. It stands today. Son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel answered, oh, Lord God, you know. So I ask that same question to you, Cambrian Park Baptist Church. 
Can these bones live? Let me give you my last point, our prophecy. Look at verse 4. Then God said to Ezekiel, he said to me, prophecy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. How will these dead bones live? How will the very many, very dry, lifeless people that are dead live? Prophecy. Prophecy. God's word. Proclaiming, declaring, preaching, teaching, talking about, giving out the very word of God that they might hear the word of the Lord and what? And live. You see why we must be a people of such great faith. I mean, you see that. When I look upon Silicon Valley and I look upon just the state of the Bay Area, And I hear God say to me, I will raise people from the dead through a word. I have to be someone of great faith. Because I look upon the mess, and it is a mess. I see death. I see suffering. I see intentional infliction of pain and misery. I see wives who are broken because their husbands have cheated on them. I see children who cry because their parents are divorced. We see so many things, and we say, God, and you're telling us that in the midst of this very many dry bones, you're going to just bring a word, and it's going to bring people to life? That's absurd. There's a reason that Paul talks about the foolishness of preaching. As an unsaved man, I remember I heard that. I thought, that's ridiculous. When I look out and I see this mess, it's got to be way more than a word. I mean, we're going we're gonna to need some programs, and we're going to need some psychiatrists, and we're going to need some medication, and we're going to need some social work, and we're going to need some money and education. We're going to need way more than a word. And God says, no, my word is sufficient. How? How can God raise the dead and sanctify the unholy and promise them eternal life with a word? Because it's the word. It is Christ. In the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth with a word. He brought the word of God, Christ himself, to us that he might live and die and be raised from the dead that that word might have eternal life. This is no ordinary word, my beloved. When you go and you speak of Christ and you declare the gospel and you bring the Bible to your friends and family, you're not just speaking words. You're bringing the very power of God and heaven to earth and you're ushering that into the presence of those who are dead. It is a most powerful thing. And when the word of God is applied by the power of the Holy Spirit, people live. People live. When you bring the word of God into into these these valleys of dry bones and into your mission field and the Holy Spirit attends that word, people are raised from the dead. That's why we're here. Someone did that with us. Someone shared the gospel with us. You, my beloved, like me, we were once blind and what? And now we see. We were once deaf and now we hear. We once hated God and now we love God. We couldn't stand the name Jesus Christ except when it was was a a profane word and now we love him. Someone shared that word with you, and I would argue someone was praying for you. God saved you as a result. So you're no longer dry bones, you're now alive. You're no longer dead, you're alive. Spurgeon said, the preaching of Christ is the whip that flogs the devil. The preaching of Christ is the thunderbolt, the sound of which makes all hell shake. Why? Because hell loves death and it loves dead people and the word of God makes people alive and plucks us out of hell. When you say, when we say as a people no to the programs and no to the tricks and no to all these evangelical schemes to somehow try to manipulate people and convince people and get them in and move them around. When we say no to that and we say yes to prophecy and yes to prayer, revival will happen. God will do a work. And this is the great act of our faith, is it not? That we believe Him and we don't try those things. My beloved, don't try to manipulate your friends into believing in Christ. Don't try to bring your family members into a, you know, a nice, easy, comfortable, you know, uh, secure, 
understandable place. Prophesy, preach, teach, bring the gospel. Trust in Christ to save them. We make it so complicated. I get so many emails and so many things in the mail that talk about these new strategies to save people. The word of God and prayer. I want to see dry bones made alive here in this place. I want to see that in 2017. So I want to show you a few things, and I will close. Look at verse 4 again, how that prophecy must look like for us. Remember, we're all prophets using the word of God, not your own prophecy, not thus saith the Lord according to you, but his word. How do we go out? Look again at verse 4. This prophecy must be over the dead bones. Did you hear that? My beloved, I love it when we gather on the Lord's day. This is a glorious day. This is a glorious gathering. As as Tom said at the beginning, we gather and we get to sing to God and we get to pray. We get to preach the word and hear the word read. We get to receive communion today, glorious. And this is a glorious, holy gathering. And we should enjoy it and we should revel in it. But this is not where the prophecy needs to be only. It needs to be out and over the dead bones. And that means two things. One, you got to invite people to church. Right? You invite people to church, and, and by God's grace, I will faithfully proclaim the gospel of grace, and they will be saved. That's an option. That's a great, glorious option. But there's another option. I would say we need to do both. What is that? You go. You go. You take this word. The word that you hear preach in this pulpit. The word that you hear when you read your Bible. The word that you hear when Pastor Kurt is doing Sunday school. You take this word and you go out. And you prophesy. And you prophesy. And you declare the glories of God. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless sent. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 10. We got to go. We have to go to the dry bones. By all means, my beloved, bring the dry bones here if they'll come. Ask them to church. It's amazing how many people have never been invited. Invite them and take it to them. Secondly, you must see that this word, verse 4, must be proclaimed truthfully. Look at verse 4 again. God said to Ezekiel, say to them, O dry bones. Did you notice that? That God commands Ezekiel to tell the dry bones they're dry bones. Did you notice that? I love that. Why do the dry bones need to be told they're dry bones? Why does he tell Ezekiel, tell them who they really are? Because in order for the gospel to come in and have its right impact, so must we. We must tell the truth. Be transparent, be honest, be humble. Be loving, but proclaim the truth. It's so lacking today. It's lacking from pulpits. It's lacking from our churches. It's lacking in our homes. It's lacking in the workplace. We don't want to tiptoe around the gospel. The people we will go to are not almost dead. They're dead. Jude was right. They're doubly dead. And they're in need of complete and total resuscitation. And they need to know that. They need to know they can't go and do a few moral works. They can't do, you know, go to church a little bit or get baptized and be saved. They must see that they are dead and they need Christ to make them alive. They must see that. And how do they see that? By the word of God, by us telling them that. And you say, I don't want to tell them that. I want to talk about the goodness of Christ and the the glory of Christ and the beauty of Christ and the love of Christ and the mercy of Christ. Tell them that too. But if that's all they hear, if you sugarcoat the gospel, and you give it to dead people. Let me ask you this. What are the palates of a dead person like? How well do dead people taste? They taste nothing. They're dead. And so when we work really hard to take the gospel and try to make it easy and sugarcoat it, all you're doing is convoluting the message. Speak lovingly. Speak humbly. But speak plainly. Tell the dead bones they're dead. You must. We must. We must, if God is going to make them alive, we must tell them the simple truth that they're dead through and through. We must tell them that Christ died so they could live. 
that Christ became dead through and through, experiencing the full wrath of God, the, tra the, the travesty of hell that they might live. Tell them. Tell them. They need to see their need to be saved and cry out for mercy. Tell them to seek forgiveness from this gracious God and they will be forgiven. Tell them. Tell them that, that Christ not only died for their sins, but then he rose from the dead. And in so doing, he gives every man, every woman, and every chi child a chance to rise to through repentance and faith. Tell them. I know you. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. But I would argue many of us are not doing it. We must tell them. If there's a hope for them to hear the gospel and believe, they must hear the gospel. Number three, look at verse four again. Then he said to me, prophecy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. It must be the word we take, the prophecy we take must be God's word, not Keith's word, not Pastor Kurt's word, not Patty's word, not John's word, not Nasser's word. It must be God's word. We're not to declare our ethics or our religious opinions or our Christian cliches. Ask Jesus into your heart. God loves the sinner but hates the sin. This one I heard recently, where God guides, God provides. Oh, don't do that. Please don't do that. That's man's words. Those are dead words. None of those words have the power to save. Only confuse, only convolute, only deceive. Those words do. So many sermons this morning filled with so much junk. Junk. It, it doesn't surprise me that people leave the churches, they go out, and they don't have a word to say because they didn't hear a word from God. You have heard God. These words are clear. We have something to take back out. We must prophesy to the dead by going to the dead. We must prophesy the truth by not being afraid to tell the dead they're dead. We must bring God's word and not our own. And lastly, it must be a commanding word. Did you notice that? Maybe not in the imperative in the Greek. It's harder to see here. In the Hebrew, it's the same. Prophecy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Hear it. This is a command. And we are to command people to be saved. What a glorious command. We are to tell people, live, don't die. Repent and believe, don't perish. Hear the word of the Lord, you dead, dry bones, and live. That means, my beloved, to explain the gospel or talk about the gospel or talk around the gospel without calling people to repent and believe leaves the gospel short. And God deserves more than that. Begging, commanding, calling. That's our commission. And we fail in our commission if we do not call. We fail in our commission if we do not command. You and I have both listened to some exquisite sermons that have exegeted the word in profound detail. And we have heard it and we've been fed. And then that sermon ends and there's no call. There's no command to repent and believe, and that sermon dies. Why? Our commission is to command people to obey and love God. 2 Corinthians 5.20, remember, Paul said, remember, we are ambassadors for Christ, and God is making his appeal, what? Through us. Therefore, we implore you, we beg you, we beseech you on behalf of Christ, what? Be reconciled to God. Do not stop short. Declare the word of God. Declare the glories of Christ. Share the gospel and then command people. Remember, this is the word of God. There's power in it. How many of you have done that? How many of you shared the gospel and they say, now repent and believe. Call them to repentance. Demand repentance. You say, well, I can't do that. That's God's word. God said, Acts 17, 30, he commands all people everywhere to repent. If you bring the word of God, you'll command repentance. Why? Because God does. It's not your word. It's his word. So when we fall short and we sugarcoat and we try to manipulate the, around the gospel, we are not, we're not being commissioned. We're not acting as our commission calls us to. It's his word. If God commands people to repent, then so must we.
Amen? Yeah. Can these bones here in San Jose live? The Bible says yes. The Bible says yes. So let us as a church, beginning this day, January 8th, 2017, let us as a church take the commission, take the charge by God, and go out and share the gospel. Let us do that. Let us prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Let us do that. Let us not just hear it preached and hear that that conviction or that encouragement and just leave it. Let us pick it up tonight in our prayer time and pray to God that you be faithful to this commission. And then tomorrow, let us open our mouths and let us bring the hope of the gospel to these very many, very dry bones so that they too can live. My beloved, we do not want to be stingy with Christ. We do not want to have the gospel and rejoice in the gospel at the expense of others perishing. So let us be faithful to this commission as Ezekiel was and let us bring the word of God to them. Amen? All right, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would first begin by forgiving us for being a people who live amongst very many, very dry bones and not being faithful to the commission that you gave to Ezekiel so long ago for them to repent and believe and follow Christ. Forgive me, Father. Forgive us for our lack of faith looking upon the Bay Area or this country, even the world, and saying, Lord, it's not possible. And yet our own lives testify against that lie because we're here, and you saved us, and by grace you brought the word to us, and by grace you redeemed us, and so we know it's possible. We ask, Lord, that you would be glorified in our midst here in Cambrian Park and in San Jose by magnifying your name through my brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, that we would be a people like Ezekiel that believe the promises, that to believe that your word is powerful, that it can make dead people alive. That we would believe that, Lord, and we would take it out to the world and we would proclaim this glorious news that we would become prophets and we would preach and we would declare and we would teach the glories of Christ and then we would faithfully pray to that end. Father, do that. Do that. For your glory, I pray, that we might see a revival here in our time. And let it begin this year. Let 2017 be a year of your word and prayer in this church. Be pleased to do that great work here. We, we ask, as Ezekiel did, we do not presume it, Lord. We do not demand it, and we do not want to manipulate. And so we just humbly ask that you be glorified by doing that work. In Christ's holy name, amen.